morning, everyone. I hope I'm on here. Good to see you all here, and welcome to uh, Grace this morning. We're glad that we've come to worship together. I have a few announcements in terms of life of the congregation uh, as we begin to worship. Um, you can take a look in the back of your bulletin. You'll see what's coming up this week. Um, I mean, I guess I'm the older one here than Kyle, but there is middle school and high school youth. I don't see any of them here. Oh, maybe I do. Where is she? Oh, Ariana. Oh, my. Just so you are aware of this, Ariana, you know about it? Okay, good. Um, and then as the older people, there's stories with seniors, and uh, that's on Thursday morning. You can join us on Zoom. We actually enjoy those conversations a lot. And formation on Tuesday night. Um, for those of you who weren't there last Tuesday, we were going to watch a documentary called uh, The Social Dilemma Together. Didn't work out because Netflix didn't want us to share it on uh, Zoom. So if you have Netflix, you're able to watch it individually at home or with friends or something. Um, you really might want to watch it and join the conversation that Dennis is going to lead on Tuesday. Very interesting documentary, and you'll enjoy that conversation that we're going to have. A um, couple of other things before I invite Mel to come up. He wants to mention um, our AGM. Uh, this in terms of pastoral care. Um, a number of people are in the hospital. Friday afternoon we found about many things that have happened. Abe Penner is in the hospital and he will be in Winnipeg and he'll be having surgery um, this week. I think it's scheduled a heart, open heart surgery so we can pray for him and for Lorna. Um, Christina Putz is in the hospital in Winnipeg. We can pray for her as well. And I received a phone call at the end of the week that Nancy Pauls has passed away. For those of you who know Nancy, she passed away after a long life. Um, she was at Cedarwood now at the end, so we can pray for her family as they remember her um, now during this time. Mel, why don't you come up? Good morning. As uh, mentioned in the bulletin, the AGM will be happening uh, Wednesday, January 26th at 7. It's going to be virtual, Zoom. Uh, the link will be sent out, or it's the same link that's been uh, that's in the bulletin or has been used in the past. And uh, so before the AGM, the, uh, the, uh, the reports from the commissions will be sent out. And obviously, so yeah, at the AGM, you can, uh, you, we hope you have all the time to read it. Uh, all the, the chairs should be on, online and be able to hey, review what's taken place in the years past, what's coming up. And always the question is who's, uh, who's invited? So anyone that considers themselves a member or attendant uh, here at Grace is invited to come. And uh, we encourage anyone and everyone to come. Uh, I know in the past it was always a, it's a great day. Uh, you'd uh, meet downstairs, have lunch, and congregate. Uh, unfortunately this year it can't happen yet. Hopefully in a year from now that will take place. But again, so January 26th at 7. Thank you. And now the Spirit of God invites all to worship the Creator at this time and in our places which dwell on Treaty 1 territory, the ancestral lands of the Métis, the Dakota, the Cree, the Oji Cree, the Dene, Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe. Let's worship God together. Okay, if you are able, why don't you stand with us and we'll sing the opening song.
Actually, I'll get you all to stand. <laughs> Call to worship is going to be on the screen. I'm a bit of a silence person um, to approach God, but sometimes we approach God with noise and singing and, and all of that. And uh, maybe we need a lot of that in our lives right now, and maybe sometimes things feel kind of silent. So the worship call to worship will be up on the screen. And I'm going to ask, we have children who maybe will love to do this, and I'm going to ask you as adults all to join them in it. So let's begin together. Oh, come, let us sing. Okay, we're clapping our hands and smiling. Oh, come, let us make a joyful noise by stomping our feet and snapping our fingers. And I want you to keep going, okay? Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord, the rock of our salvation. Let us come into God's presence with thanksgiving, making joyful noises and singing the Lord's praises, for great is our God. Very great, for in God's hands are the deepest parts of the earth and the highest mountains. The seas are the Lord's, for God is their creator. The land is the Lord's, for God's hands formed, shaped, and blessed the earth. O come, let us worship. Let us sing to God, the rock of our salvation. enter a prayer of confession, ending with some word from Psalms. Let's pray together. Life-giving God, hear our prayers of confession, for we are sometimes seduced by the gods of this world. Materialism coaxes us to trust in things. We acknowledge our temptation to materialism. Success 
tempts us to work harder and longer, we acknowledge the temptation of success. Security persuades us to purchase more and more protection. We acknowledge our thirst for security. Pride entices us to fall in love with ourselves. We acknowledge the temptation of pride. Busyness charms us into believing that there's just one more thing that we have to do. We acknowledge the desert of busyness. Perfectionism sweet talks us into making mountains out of molehills. We acknowledge the danger of perfectionism. And fear takes captive our creativity and our confidence. We acknowledge the threat of fear. Forgive us, Lord, for worshiping these gods of our world who bring us only sadness and loneliness and emptiness. Free us from their grip so that we will worship you alone and live with others in our world as you would have us do. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. God will not always accuse nor harbor anger forever. God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for those who fear. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Amen.
want to give thanks to God for the goodness in our lives. So I'll begin with some words from Psalm 36, after again which we'll pray, and I'll give you an opportunity to give thanks to God for your life and all that it holds. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the deep. The Lord preserves both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O Lord. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let's give thanks to God. God, we praise you because you are our Lord. We thank you for your gifts to us without number or without limits. We thank you for the breath of life and each breath that we take as we notice ourselves inhaling and exhaling. We thank you for the beauty of this world something that we've seen this week which filled us with awe and wonder. We thank you for all that sustains us with bodily strength, the food that we ate this week, the shelter which protected us from the cold. We thank you for the relationships which hold and sustain us, family and friends, co-workers and co-students that we lived with and interacted with this week. We thank you for the work and studying that we can do, for the energy to do it, all that we did this week. Lord, may we never forget to thank you for your goodness to us. And now you know, God, what we have to give of our time and our energy and our finances. Be it much or little, what we do have to give, we want to share joyfully with others by giving it to you, as you have given joyfully to us in Christ. Amen. Paxton, I'll ask you to come up and play now.
Hi, kids. How are you all doing today? Did you play outside this week? D no. Do you like your parents as your teachers? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's move on from that one. I have an idea. Let's call Finn out and see what they have to say about life these days. Ready? One, two, three. Finn the dragon! Finn, what are you doing? Push-ups. How many push-ups can you do, Mel? Well, um, more than Kyle can, that's for sure. But, but maybe a better question is, why are you doing push-ups? Uh, well, I'm getting ready to follow Jesus. And that involves push-ups? Uh, yeah. It also involves bumping some iron at the gym with Curtis Culpa and doing flow yoga with Leo's mom and cross-country skiing with Lloyd and Brenda and Leroy and, and Rod and Karen and Werner and Karen and Al and Judy and Enid and Riley and Loretta and Ashley. Wow, oh, wow. Basically, we, we should start a cross-country skiing club here at church. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but I'm confused. Push-ups, gym, yoga, skiing, they're all part of Following Jesus? Yep, because as Penny would say, Oh, hey, hey, that reminds me of a gospel lesson today. She's not here, so I connected it to the story before she could. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well played, Finn. But what does being in shape have to do with the gospel lesson this morning? Oh, well, Jesus went to the temple and got a bit angry and started flipping some tables. Hmm, and? So... If I want to follow Jesus, be tough like Jesus and be strong, I can flip some tables myself. Maybe if I'm faithful enough and strong enough, I could even flip two tables at a time. Oh, um, Finn? Yes, Mel? Did Jesus say, come follow me to go flip some tables together? Uh, no. Did Jesus say, come follow me and get big muscles together? Uh, no. Did Jesus say, come follow me so we can fight and win like strong people? Uh, no. But, think back to Christmas. Do you remember some of the things we talked about? Like what each of those candles that we lit meant? Uh, peace. Yup. Love. Yup. Hope. Yup. Joy. That's right, and the fifth candle was? Flipping tables. <sighs> no, Finn, the fifth table was not flipping tables. We're supposed to follow... Oh, no, Finn. Right. We're supposed to follow Jesus and practice peace, love, hope, and joy. And we don't have to flip any tables. That's right. Jesus got upset because people were focusing too much time and spending too much money on the temple, 
and he really wanted them to put more energy on following him and practicing love, hope, peace, and joy. Oh, I see. We follow Jesus not by practicing push-ups and flipping tables, but by practicing love, hope, peace, and joy. That's right, Finn. Love, peace, hope, and joy for everyone, even a few weeks after Christmas. Okay, but Mel, Mel, Mm -hmm. I I have one more question. What is it, Finn? Can I still do my push-ups? Oh, you absolutely can. We can all do our push-ups, do yoga, go cross-country skiing, because those things are fun and healthy for us. But the really good news is that we can all follow Jesus. Even those of us pastors who can't do as many push-ups as you. Phew! That is good news! It really is. Okay, kids, you can go back to Children's Church now. Bye! Bye. Middle school kids, Joy has something for you, too. 135, 136, 137. The story that was just told to us, told again, from John chapter 2. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting in tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a a market. His His disciples then remembered that it's written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews, they then responded to Jesus. Well, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this. Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple that he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said and then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs that he was performing and they believed in his name. But Jesus, he would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony from about mankind for he knew what was in each person.
last, last fall, I want to make sure I'm on here. Oh, am I on? Good. Last fall, when I was advising the vaccine task force about vaccinations amongst Mennonites and Southern Health, the jury is still out on how successful that campaign was, one of the civil servants called me and said, we've hit a bit of a wall. Can I call you to see what's going on in southern Manitoba? He was living in a downtown Winnipeg bubble, he admitted. And I said, sure. So we chat, a video chat schedule for the week from that day. And then I promptly did what we all start, what we all do when we want answers to our questions. We started doing our own research on the internet. And I went on Facebook to see what people were saying. And I saw some version of this line come up several times. I am so mad, time to start flipping tables. But the question I'm going to ask you today is this. Was this line said by A, a vaccinated person about an unvaccinated person, or B, an unvaccinated person about a vaccinated person? I'm so mad those people aren't getting vaccinated, clogging up our healthcare system. I'm so mad those vaccinated people keeping me out of life and not respecting my personal choices. And the correct answer is both. Now, regardless of which answer you picked or how you feel about vaccinations, I found it to be quite remarkable that two people found themselves on opposite sides of an issue disagreeing about something, were both angry, and they both used the exact same story to justify their anger. There's something about this table-flipping story that seems to have lodged in our collective memory to justify our anger and our actions. It's kind of like these memes that pop up every so often. If somebody asks, what would Jesus do, remind them that turning over tables and breaking out whips is a possibility— Next slide. Even Jesus got a little rowdy sometimes. You can buy a t-shirt of that one. Next slide. Jesus flipped over tables once in 33 years, but my instincts tell me to flip them nearly every day. Next slide. For everyone calling for peace, remember that even Jesus flipped a table. Christ was done with folks' shenanigans. Do we, do we just take this story of Jesus and apply it to whatever is making us mad at the moment? Road rage? Cut me off? Flip a table. Fighting the Taliban? Flip a table and bomb them. Restaurants that check vax cards? Churches that check vax cards? Flip a table. Restaurants that don't check vax cards or churches that don't follow public health orders? Flip a table. Billionaires not paying taxes, people flying on a plane to Mexico and partying the whole way down, <gasps> or worse, the Winnipeg Jets thinking about playing some games in Saskatoon. Flip a table. There's Jets cannot go to Saskatoon. I am so mad about that. At least it wasn't rostering, right, Mel? <laughs> so do we just take this story of Jesus and apply it to like whatever we want? I think we do. I really, really think we do. And so let's look at the story a little bit and see if there's any other layers than Jesus got angry and flipped tables so I can too. Let's start with the whip. 
this is a little bit of a technical one here, but we'll just start there. The temple during the religious festival of Passover was when this all happened. It was kind of like this marketplace with people buying and selling cattle and sheep and doves, which were all meant to be then brought to the temple and sacrificed as was part of the rules and the rituals. And so when Jesus made a whip, was he cracking it at the animals or the people? Jesus used his whip, technically, according to the Gospel of John, to drive the animals out. To the people, he simply yelled, get out of here. Or, if any of you have seen the rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, any of you seen this one? Raise your hand. It's one of my favorites. Ted Neely's like, get out! So at the very least, I would be cautious about applying the story of Jesus flipping tables to be a story to justify our violence against other humans. And so Jesus cleansed the temple, so I guess violence against humans be it against protesters, be it against politicians, be it against armies or any other human, I don't think we can use this story. Jesus is not Rambo here. And even if you think, first of all, you type in like Jesus Rambo images in your Google search, you got some really funny ones, but I didn't do that today. (laughs) But even if you think that a whip near a human and Ted Neely singing, get out, is the same as a whip on a human, well, Stanley Hauerwas has this beauty of a quote. Jesus cleansing the temple is a hell of a long way from Hiroshima. Uh, That line did not make it into the kid's puppet show, and I don't know why. But what about the property? Like, surely these were business-minded folks that were not too pumped about having their animals being driven away. It was their inventory and their money being dumped on the floor when the tables were flipped. Doesn't Jesus care about their property and their livelihood? Like if they don't pay their mortgages, the SCU is going to come around and start looking for some house keys. I can't pay my mortgage. Jesus flipped my table and drove my animal out of the temple. This one gets a little bit less black and white. Like on one hand, sure, Jesus cares about humans thriving. And part of that is meaningful work at good pay so we can all pay the bills and survive. But on the other hand, it is hard to say, oh, sorry, on the other hand, and it's hard to say, but I don't think Jesus cares all that much about property value. We do, but Jesus? Does Jesus care about our RRSPs or how much our houses are worth or inflation or our rate of return on depreciating assets? Sounds harsh, but no. Let's not forget that Jesus is the one who tells the rich young ruler to sell all he has to give to the poor. Jesus tells a story of a rich man going to hell for not being generous enough. Jesus tells us to store up treasures in heaven. And then he tells us that if we have bumper crops, that building extra barns is foolish. Now, I have a pension plan that you pay, and I am grateful. (laughs) And so obviously we all live in the tension of long-term planning and generosity and how much is too much. But does Jesus care about our property values of our houses? I'd be open to wondering about that. But right now I'd say we care deeply about it. But that's not Jesus' primary concern, especially for those of us who have But I could be wrong. But I think that one of the things that Jesus is doing here is showing us that religion is not 
about buildings and sacrifices and rituals, but rather religion is about us. Good religion, of buying your doves and sacrificing them, is not the point. Good religion is not about this building or church staff or Finn the dragon. Those are all means to an end. Good religion is like a conveyor belt that helps move us along towards transformation and sacrificial love. And all the things that we do here can help us grow or it can create spaces where we can help others grow. That's why we do children's church. And that's why we do all of this. But religion as a goal unto itself that we've done what we're supposed to do and we're good? Never. I know the image of a conveyor belt is too linear and too mechanical to fully explain the diverse dynamics of spirituality and most of our growth is kind of like but the basic but as a basic metaphor I think it works religion all the rituals and rules and practices that come with it are meant to move us somewhere now that might seem easy for us to understand but in today's story the temple was the center of religion and it all happened while I really do believe that the temple and the rules were intended to be a conveyor that helped people experience some people had turned it into a marketplace for their own gain. Some people had put the focus on the all that was happening inside. It's like they'd exchanged the big picture for a little picture or that they were seeing the trees instead of the forest. But by cleansing the temple, Jesus moves the center of religion, the conveyor belt of transformation, he moves that to himself. Now, partly the writer of the Gospel, John, did it out of necessity. History lesson, you're all very excited. John was written between the years, oh, I'll go like this. Jesus cleansed the temple in about the year 30. In the year 70, the Romans showed up and destroyed the temple, like ground it to dust. And then 20 to 30 years later, the Gospel of John was written. There literally was no temple anymore. And so if the center of one's life and religion and worldview is gone, you have to create a new center. It's not a cop-out. It's a necessity. But secondly, Jesus is moving the focus from buildings and sacrifices and rituals to himself because that is a really good foundation for sacrificial love and transformation. We sometimes call it solid ground. <laughs> the story is Jesus beginning to lay the foundation of himself being the foundation. But if that's all Jesus was doing, why did he make a whip and chase out animals and flip over tables? Why didn't he just say, I'm the foundation? Maybe it's simple. Maybe it was one big theatrical piece to get people talking. Maybe we're still talking about it 2,000 years later, so it worked. Maybe it's lodged in our collective memories <laughs> that it worked. And maybe that's why Jesus only did it once. Here's four stories, um, funny or terrible, depends on your perspective. And I'll talk about some people here, and then I'll talk about some people here, and then I'll talk about ourselves, but first I'll talk about me. <laughs> I was in a university class, and it was like nine people, and it was heavily based on us 
discussing the readings. And of course, I had spent the previous day playing NHL 95 on Nintendo, so I didn't actually do the readings, which is really awkward when the professor asks you to discuss the readings. But eventually, I realized that if I started lying about the readings and trying to like make things up, you get caught pretty quick. Surprise, surprise. So then I moved to this line. I'm sorry. I didn't do the readings, so I can't contribute to the discussion, but I will listen and learn. I'm sure the professors haven't heard that one before either. And so one class, I was asked what I thought about Christocentrism. And I should have put the word up there. I forgot to. Christo, like C-H-R-I-S-T, and then central. Centrism. Christocentrism. And I just looked at the professor, and I told the truth, and I said, I'm sorry, I didn't do the readings, Carl. And so I have no thoughts about Christocentrism, but I will listen and learn. And clearly, Carl, the professor, was tired of these shenanigans, and I can't imagine why. And so he wouldn't quite let this one go for me. And he said to me, Kyle, even though you didn't do the readings, I'm sure you have something to say. You always do. <laughs> All right, Carl, point for you. And I was like, I'm, I don't know what the word means. And he said, Kyle, look at the word and figure it out. It's like Christo being like Christ. Jesus Christ and centrism, like central, like Jesus being the central. And Carl's like this. Good job, Kyle. Well, and to this day, I still maintain, why did the writer of this textbook have to invent a big word like Christocentrism when all they could have said was just Jesus is the center? Professors. Anyhow, Jesus as the center. It's similar, this is similar to what a consultant said for the United Church of Canada. So it was a few years ago they commissioned a report assessing the health of their overall church. And the report said that the United Church of Canada is a very large tent. But some t and then all are welcome in this tent. It's a big tent, they said. But sometimes, in an effort to be such a large tent, they don't always have a strong center pole which in this case was Jesus. And without a strong center pole, eventually the tent cannot keep expanding outwards. That's their words, not mine. I like the, the United Church of Canada. But you, they, and they named it the center pole of Jesus. And this is similar to what one of, now I'll, I'll risk something here. This is similar to what one of my friends said about those clandestine slash secret churches that are meeting in barns during a pandemic to avoid public health orders. Sure, the attendance is up, and then the giving is up, and you're all having a party in a barn every Sunday, not wearing masks and not distancing. But if your center, if your foundation is defying government rules, and all the people who hate following rules have now come to your church, Good luck trying to figure things out in a few years when the pandemic is over and you need to have a budget meeting to figure out the color of the carpet and there's no government rules to react against. <laughs> Do we have red carpet, blue carpet? What does the government say? I want the opposite. <laughs> so that was that side of the spectrum and that was that side of the spectrum. If Jesus is not our center, then why are we here? Now we'll make fun of ourselves. Origin stories take a life of their own, depending on who tells it, depending how long it's happened. So as I ponder about the United Church of Canada and those pandemic barn churches, I can also ponder ours here at Grace Mennonite. 60 years ago, is it 60? 60, right? Yeah, we just had our party in October. 60 party, pandemic party. <laughs> 
60 years ago, I'm sure people wondered about the foundations of Grace Mennonite's church. I mean, if our church is based, if our church based their entire identity upon watching TV, drinking beer, <laughs> wearing makeup on Sundays, making wine in our basements, and worst of all, letting all those sinners in, <laughs> I'm sure that people thought that we wouldn't last either. But we did, which tells me that maybe beneath our exterior bravado and penchant for breaking the rules, our foundation really has been Jesus Christ the entire time. So maybe it's not so dire for the United Church or those pandemic barn churches either. Maybe they'll figure out a way to do this as well. Okay, back to flipping tables. Flipping tables is not about, Jesus flipping tables is not about us justifying our own anger. Jesus flipping tables is about people forgetting that religion is a conveyor belt of transformation rooted in Jesus. And loving our neighbors really has little to do with property value, either our own houses or our churches. (laughs) We care about these things but we should only care about them so much as they help move us towards maturity in loving God and loving our neighbors. And so to end, I'll leave you with some wise words by Oscar Romero, who was a Catholic archbishop martyred in El El Salvador. And he said this, Let us not measure the church by the number of its members or by its material buildings. The church has built many houses of worship, many seminaries, many buildings that have been taken from her. They have been stolen and turned into libraries and barracks and markets and other things. And if if he was alive today, he would have said condos. But that doesn't matter. The material walls here will be left behind in history. What matters is you, the people, your hearts. God's grace giving you truth and life. Don't measure yourself by your numbers. Measure yourself by the sincerity of heart with which you follow the truth and light of our Redeemer. If you're able, why don't you stand with us?
Pray together. God, our Creator, you love us in Christ. You live within us by your Spirit. Today we want to pray prayers for ourselves and our community and our world. We pray for someone today that we know who is struggling with physical or mental illness. We pray for Leona in the hospital and for Abe and Christina who have been admitted this week. We pray that they will know your care through all those that care for them and in some sense they will understand you're holding them as well. We pray for someone that we know who is dealing with difficult relationships that are important to them. We pray for our community today for those working in hospitals here and in smaller places around us and in Winnipeg. And in our world, Pray for some area that you have heard of or read of that is experiencing crises and struggle. Lord, we pray for the crises in Afghanistan and the food shortages and the struggle there at this time. We pray that help will come, that development will happen, relief will be there. And we pray for ourselves and our deepest needs and hopes, that which is within us this morning. Lord, we give all these things to you in Christ. Amen.
ask you to stand for the benediction as we leave. May the light of Christ burn brightly within you so that you will be held in your life this week and so that those you live among may see and know Christ, the loving source of all truth and life. Go in this light and in peace. Amen.